The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 172 of the podcast. Today is Sunday, January 19th. Man, I'm so excited to do this podcast right now. If you're wondering what happened to episode 171, it was recorded, but it has not been seen by anyone because I did not upload it. I recorded it last week with my brother Rob in Orlando. We were at a, at a hotel somewhere outside of Disney World, very intoxicated, smoking cigars, making our predictions for UFC 246, which uh, happened to be very accurate. I'm debating whether or not to share this episode with the world. If there's enough demand for it, I will upload it. It was a 15-minute episode that was recorded during the completion of a 100-proof bottle of bourbon between my brother and myself. Uh, needless to say, it was a shit show. But that's neither here nor there. If you want to hear the episode, then you need to demand it uh, as the MMA on the Rocks audience. Before we get into UFC 246, let me introduce my co-host, who you may or may not remember, because he has been around since last decade, all the way from New Jersey, fresh off of bowling a 300 game, I think. Jeff, the animal, Wilson. Jeff, how are you feeling on this almost midnight on Sunday <laughs> evening, my friend. Yeah, man, it's closer to Martin Luther King Day than it is to Saturday. So there's that, you know, uh, excited to have the day off, excited for, uh, you know, chance to kind of just reflect on uh, where civil rights has come. Uh, I think, you know, Martin Luther King, a big, big proponent of that. And, you know, the way he protested without hurting anybody was um, was something special, man. You don't see that anymore, especially nowadays. Everybody's violent. Everybody uh, loses their temper very, very quickly. Yeah. Bill, I'm excited to be back on the show with you. <laughs> Any thoughts on Martin Luther King Day or should we just get right into it? I'm cool either way. Yeah, man, I do. I think uh, I think MLK was was a really powerful figure, and he had a lot of great ideas that really still resonate today. And I wish they would resonate a little bit more because I think he would be disappointed mm. if he saw the behavior of uh, some people abusing the freedoms that that uh, he he fought so hard for for everybody to have, you know. I think we take advantage of that very much. You know, we see so often like people arguing over petty things on the internet and, um, you know, just because they have a voice, uh, they feel like, you know, they can just rant and rave about whatever they want and, uh, they kind of lose sight about what's really important. Like the things that MLK was fighting for, um, the, not even very long ago. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, we need to do our part to remind people, you know, since we have this platform uh, that, you know, you kind of need to choose what's worth fighting for. And I think MLK definitely had the right idea about that. And, um, you know, maybe the rest of us need to uh, take a deep dive into, you know, what really is worth fighting for. <clears throat> And you know, speaking of fighting, let's <laughs> let's uh, let, let's talk about some mixed martial arts here, Jeff. Jeff, I gotta air something out here because I, I talked to some mutual friends about the last time you bailed on the episode. You know, for the people who you and I um, both know, and and nobody's buying the excuse, Jeff, why you stood me up. So we gotta clear the air here, Jeff. Why'd you miss out on the last episode here? 
Yeah, Bill, I'll be honest with you, man. Um, last minute, a parent of a student of mine asked me to fill out an application that was time sensitive and uh, it, it was a stupid format. It wasn't saving on my computer. So I had to leave my house and go somewhere to like print this shit out. Um, so it, it was, it was kind of messy. It was super last minute. Um, and I apologize, Bill, you know, I, I didn't let you know until the last minute that I couldn't be on the show, but yeah, um, I have a couple of students who are applying to high schools, uh, applying to other, uh, private schools. So they're asking for some letters of recommendation because now like the end of January is, uh, when they want to get all their stuff together so that they can uh, send out decisions and whatnot. I'll be honest with you, Bill. It's a giant pain in the ass. I remember those days, Jeff, so I can sympathize for sure. And uh, yet I I brought you back, Jeff. I can't quit you, Jeff. It's like Brokeback Mountain without <laughs> all the cowboy butt stuff. Um, <laughs> no, but we're back in the game. Um, and, you know, of course I'm happy to do it, you know, uh, at least for the good kids. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, try to help out whenever I can. I go, uh, some of my students are in like plays and stuff. So I try to go watch those on occasion, you know, when I can. And, and the kids appreciate it because it's just the guy I am, Bill. That's it. That's it. You gotta and do what you gotta do. You gotta be there. Of, yeah. Yeah. Let me hear this transition. Being, Let's do it. Speaking of being there and doing what you gotta do, Bill. I think that the real winner of last night's main card was Conor McGregor's left shoulder, man. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of people talking about the shoulder strikes. So UFC 246 from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, saw the return of Conor McGregor after 460 days away from the octagon. And it only took him 40 seconds to dispatch Donald Cowboy Cerrone. So... Um, my assessment, Jeff, he came in and he was looking for the flying knee, uh, much like Jorge Masvidal did to Ben Askren. Uh, he was looking to run out there and throw the flying knee. Uh, Cowboy immediately grabbed an underhook and went to prevent the knee. And, um, but he didn't get deep enough on the underhook. And I, I talk about this a lot, Jeff. I occasionally, uh, coach some wrestling classes here the difference between an overhook and an underhook is who's controlling so if mm. i'm clamping down with an overhook i have an overhook you have nothing if i'm deep on an underhook i have an underhook you have nothing uh and that's a very important distinction and and something that a, an untrained eye wouldn't notice about this particular situation so after failing with the flying knee connor grabs an overhook and clamps down on it uh, before Cowboy could succeed with getting that underhook. He then gets bicep control. I'm huge on bicep control, Jeff. Uh, you probably know this about me. Um, if you have a hook on one side and you want to prevent somebody from getting something on the other side, bicep control is crucial because you can control the entire side of the body by controlling the bicep. So he used that overhook for leverage to throw that left shoulder all the way across Cowboy's face to his left eye. Uh, I, I believe he landed three shoulder strikes or so, made Cowboy start bleeding from the nose. His eye started to swell up. That was the beginning of the end. He hit him with a, with a head kick up against the cage, but I don't think that was the nail in the coffin. I think it was the three left hands that Cowboy took on the way to the ground. Uh, that was really uh, the end of the night for him. And seemed to seem to uh, seal the deal, and Herb Dean was just kind of waiting uh, for for a Cowboy to pretty much lose all signs of life at that point. Um, but really, a, a beautiful display of mixed martial arts by Conor McGregor. It, it was it was really hard to consume at, at one time and live. And and just before we went on here, I watched the fight, the entire fight. Um, maybe five or six times uh, just to kind of digest each detail because there was a lot going on here in this 42nd main event. But uh, give me your thoughts, Jeff, I, and and give me your thoughts just on the technicality of Conor McGregor 
in his return after 460 days away from the octagon here. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was surprised. Uh, I know Conor McGregor can fight, but, you know, after such a long time away and putting on some extra muscle it, it, to fight at 170, <coughs> well, excuse me, <clears throat> I thought he was going to gas out. I thought that he'd be a little bit slower um, because of the extra muscle on him, but he looked great in there, man. Uh, you know, not a lot happened in those 40 seconds, but there was so much to dissect in there. Like you said, the overhook being super effective and Conor McGregor making use of that overhook and pulling Donald Cerrone, not just using his, his shoulder to strike Donald Cerrone, but pulling Cerrone into that, into those strikes. Kind of like how DC pulls people down into his uppercuts, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, McGregor's takedown offense was good. His, his counter to, Cerrone coming in was that flying knee and it didn't it didn't land but the fact that he was able to read that takedown like that I think speaks volumes mm -hmm. I think that Cerrone was not ready for Conor McGregor's timing here his he's I think he's packing a lot more power the way that his body is just composed in this particular fight he looked massive um he didn't look like that when he fought Nate Diaz at 170 the first mm -hmm. time um, here, Conor McGregor, he was really filled out with his frame, uh, really muscular, and he carried a lot more power into this welterweight division than he did against uh, Nate Diaz the first time. Masterful performance by him. You know, Donald Cerrone is no slouch. He's a great fighter, a legend in this sport. And for McGregor to do that to him, you know, I'm not a I'm not. A fan of Conor McGregor, but I got to give credit where it's due, man. He did a great job last night. Yeah, it, it really was, like you said, masterful. Uh, and he had a great game plan. You know, it's no secret that Cowboy Cerrone is a slow starter, as they say. So Conor did the right thing. He swarmed him early. He looked for the early finish. Um, that strategy has failed him in the past, uh, like the first time he fought Nate Diaz. And I'd say even the second time he fought Nate Diaz, you know, he was still looking for that knockout. Um, and, and, you know, maybe at that point in time, didn't carry the same kind of power into the 170 pound division because Connor's not a big guy. I mean, he walks around at like 165 pounds. Um, you know, he's, he's very muscular and very shredded. Um, Remember, he's not one of these guys. He's not one of these welterweights that's cutting down from 195 pounds. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he pretty much walks around at this weight. So um, his success against Cowboy, I can understand because we know Cowboy has been super active. He's taken a lot of damage in his last couple of fights. Even his last win against Ally Quinta was a five-round war. And... um you know, he fought a couple of months after that. I remember Ally Quinta saying, you know, he was watching Cowboy's next fight and he was still sore from the fight with Cowboy. Uh, you know, they were in the same fight. They took pretty much the same amount of damage and Cowboy got right back in there uh, and took two consecutive knockouts to Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson. And in the Tony Ferguson fight, we saw that orbital area, that facial area of Cowboy swell up enormously. Um, so we know that those bones are pretty tenderized in there. Uh, so it, 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 maybe those soldier strikes were really hard from Connor or maybe, uh, you know, Cowboys face isn't completely healed or, or some combination of the two. And, uh, the shoulder strikes have been a big part of the conversation from a lot of people today. This is not a new technique guys. Uh, we saw Randy Couture doing this back in the day. We've seen Nate Diaz doing this. Typically, it's a technique that's used up against a cage. We haven't seen it very often out in the open like this, and we haven't seen it thrown with such ferocity. Um, and, and the fact that he was throwing crosses with his shoulder was something a little bit unique. John Jones is another one that comes to mind that, that has used the shoulder strikes in the past. But again, uh, it's usually something that's used in a, in a, in a cage clinch up against the cage. Um, so that's what was a little bit different about it. But as far as it being a new technique, this is nothing new. Um, and it, it shouldn't have surprised anybody, but, um, 
you know, it was really effective. It happened early on in the fight, and this is a very high-profile fight that it happened in. Um, as for Cowboy, I'd like to see him take a little bit of time off, you know, heal up. Uh, he, he had a rough 2019. He was very active as he is every year. Um, but he, you know, he's starting to take a little bit more damage and I, I'm a fan of cowboy. I love the way he fights. I'm, I'm a fan of the way Connor fights as well. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of, of his antics outside of the cage and, and we try to avoid talking about those things here on the show. But as far as his abilities as a mixed martial artist, I think he's phenomenal. I think he's definitely one of a kind. Um, and his ability to market fights is, is one of a kind as well. So I'd like to see Cowboy kind of uh, sit out for a little bit, you know, at, at least a good six to eight months here. As for Connor, um, you know, he looked great. He was in great shape. He came in, he had a quick performance. Uh, he could turn around really fast. There's a couple of different options that are being thrown around out there. Um, Jorge Masvidal is one of them. Uh, this would not be a title fight, obviously, because Jorge Masvidal is not a champion. Um, and then there's the winner of Tony versus Khabib, which is taking place in Brooklyn in April. Yep. Yeah. So, um, that would be a long layoff for Connor. I mean, it, it would be, it would be a smart choice, I guess, marketing wise, if you put him, you know, give him a title shot, but, um, you know, just thinking about the calendar here. All right. So it's mid January now, February, March, April, three months until the Tony Ferguson Khabib fight happens. And then if Khabib wins, you know, he likes to take a long time off in between fights. We might be looking at like September, Jeff, before we see Conor McGregor back in there. Uh, if Tony Ferguson wins, you know, we might be looking at May <laughs> uh, because Tony Ferguson will turn right around and, and fight immediately. Um, but I think you got to strike while the iron is hot here and schedule something for Conor. So maybe the Jorge Masvidal fight makes sense. Um, from what I understand, Kamaro Usman was also mentioned. I know he was present cage side last night, but uh, I think he's dealing with some injuries right now. So I think that fight is off the table. I don't think that's a fight to make in either case. So let's just say it's the winner of Khabib Ferguson or Jorge Masvidal. Jeff, what would you like to see next for Conor McGregor? Um, Bill, your marketing brain is starting to rub off on me here because I think that the fight that's going to put the most money in these guys' pockets is McGregor versus Masvidal, man. Um, you know, Masvidal won the baddest motherfucker championship not too long ago. Uh, was it super exciting? No, because of the way it ended, but the fight was very exciting. Um, you know, his fight before that, it was super exciting as well when he knocked out Ben Askren. So I think that it, it now's the time to schedule that fight, to book that fight with Conor McGregor. Uh, they're both coming off of huge wins. Um, they're, you know, they're both building up ahead of steam here. And, you know, put the baddest motherfucker belt on the line. Who cares? Yeah, it's is it a real belt? No, but it's entertaining. Listen, it, you know, if it was being done in Brooklyn, my ass would be buying a ticket. So... Let's make it happen. I think this is the money fight to make. Um, you know, that's just my marketing brain um, because, you know, I, I don't think the UFC is going to want to wait here um, for for a McGregor's win to get stale, so to speak. You know, it's fresh in people's minds. You know, book it in like within the next two weeks, Masvidal versus McGregor. Have it be the headliner somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they got the next couple of weeks planned out. Um Here's the only problem, Jeff. If you're thinking about marketing, uh, remember Conor McGregor does have a little bit of control here. So if that's the fight he wanted to happen, he could have easily set it up last night, and he chose not to because yeah. Jorge Masvidal was was cage side, and Conor could have called him out and said, you know, I just you know broke the UFC record. I have knockouts in three different weight divisions now, um, which is true. He has knockouts at um, featherweight, lightweight, and welterweight now. 
I want that bad motherfucker title. Let's do it, Jorge. You know, Jorge's sitting right there, but he didn't. And because he didn't do that makes me think that's not what he has in mind for his next move. Mm. Um, but he also said he wants to fight three times in 2020. And because he said that, and Connor typically, when it comes to fighting, when he says he's going to do something, he does it. So if he wants to fight three times in 2020, it's not really realistic for his next move to be the winner of um, of uh, Ferguson and Khabib, uh, because that would put you into the fall and all, you know, pretty close to the end of the year. Why would he take that much time off? So my guess is he wants to fight early summertime, but he doesn't want to fight Jorge Masvidal. Kamaru Usman's kind of out of the picture. Uh, the winner of Ferguson could be, it might be too soon for them. There's always Nate Diaz. Um, you know, Nate Diaz coming off a loss. Uh, but I feel like that trilogy fight will always sell. Um, so that's a possibility to keep in mind. You know, he didn't mention Nate Diaz by name. Um, but it, it I see, you know, in, if I'm trying to think like Conor McGregor, I'm thinking maybe fight Nate Diaz. If you win that fight, make it at 155 pounds this time. You know, they're one apiece at 170. Make it at 155. And then if he gets past Nate Diaz early summertime, he'll be ready for that rematch with Khabib or a fight with Tony Ferguson for the belt um, early fall. That That's kind of where my mind is going with it right now. It's just an idea. I'm just kind of brainstorming here, Jeff, but give me your thoughts. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all, all good ideas. I really like that. Uh, Nate Diaz trilogy fight, but bill, uh, something that was interesting that Conor McGregor said last night was I'll even fight the guy behind the desk, which I took to mean. And so did the announcers that he meant Paul Felder. Um, I think that's a great fight to make. I think stylistically it's very interesting because they're both stand-up guys. Um, I feel like, you know, um, Felder's striking is a little bit more complete because he, he mixes it up. He goes for the body. He goes for your legs too. But Connor, you can say the same for Connor. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But I don't know the reasoning behind him saying that. It's not really a money fight. I love Paul Felder, but he's not a big draw. Mm. Um, so I, I was a little confused as to why he would say that. Or maybe do you think maybe he's thinking a tune-up fight in waiting for Khabib versus Ferguson's uh, decision here? What do you think, Bill? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he was... Maybe he's calling out Joe Rogan or John Anik or Ariel Hawani, Chael Sonnen. There's a lot of people who sit behind desks. Uh, and, you know, Connor tends to be very cryptic with things like that, which is which is brilliant on his part because it keeps people talking about him and it, it keeps people distracted from his more, you know, unsavory behaviors. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, th there's a lot of options. Uh I, I'm kind of at the point where, you know, he had a great performance. Uh, if he books another fight, I'll look forward to it. But um, we could we could kind of leave the speculation at that. Uh, but yeah, Paul Felder's an interesting choice. He does have a fight coming up with Dan Hooker, I believe. Um, so that's that's no easy task for anybody. He's got to get through that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. But. Um, you know, until there's something a little more solid, I, I guess we could leave the, uh, the Connor speculation at that. Uh, you want to move on to the rest of this card here? Yeah. Yeah. Cause the bill, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't too excited for the rest of this card, but watching it, it, it was a fantastic card. And I think the UFC hit it out of the park here. Yeah. Yeah. It was very subtle. There wasn't a lot of build up to this and we had a lot of time off. Um, you know, first card of 2020. So, um, you, you know, there was there was definitely uh, a lot of uh, a lot of anticipation here. That's the word I was looking for. It's late, Jeff. You know, I uh, I oh yeah, I meant to tell you this. So I I got home from watching the fights last night at around two o'clock in the morning. 
my buddy Matt ordered the fights at his place and I get home and um my daughter who just turned two last week happy birthday Ariana daddy loves you very very much um but he he's gonna talk a little bit of shit right now because I got home around 2 a.m Jeff and this kid vomited all over the bed <laughs> and then it was up I mean I feel bad for her obviously she was up uh, for another hour or so had a fever um couldn't get her to to take any Tylenol because she was she was throwing it up so um you know something upset her stomach or she had a little virus and uh she bounced back today um you know back to her normal self like kind of joking around as as toddlers do um but yeah man 2 a.m i i was looking to just like you know i i get a little bit wired watching the fights but uh, at the same time like it I'm a busy, I'm a busy guy. So I like to, you know, when it's that late, like I got a crash and, um, came home to vomiting toddler with a fever and, um, she was still up. She was still up at 7am Jeff. Um, so, you know, she's a little miracle. She can, <laughs> she can vomit and have a fever all night <laughs> and still wake up early. Um, so, that's where we're at with this, Jeff. That's uh that's the story I was starting to tell you at the beginning of the episode, but um that's where I'm at right now. And it is now eleven PM on Sunday night. And uh I guarantee she'll be up before seven tomorrow morning. So I have that to look forward to. But um yeah, that's the uh the these are the blessings I'm I'm dealing with with the uh with the terrible twos here, Jeff. Yeah, well, Enjoy while you can, Bill, because, um, you know, my nephew's turning 10 next uh, in March, and I can't believe a decade's flown by, man. It feels like just yesterday I was holding this kid. But, um, yeah, man, happy birthday, Ariana. Uncle Jeff couldn't be there, so I sent you a giant teddy bear that it turns out you enjoy. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. She, um, she loves the giant teddy bear. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna order one for my niece too. Um, probably for her birthday coming up. But uh, yeah, man. Um, Bill, such is the life of a dad. You don't get days off. You don't get sick days. You don't get paid leave. So no, no. In Never. In fact, you have to pay to leave. You have to, pay. <laughs> you know, in some cases, like if you actually leave, like for good, you have to pay child support. But like, if you want to leave, like a good father leaves, you pay a responsible babysitter, which, <laughs> um, you know, the more responsible they are, the, uh, the less cheap they are. Um, mm. So, that's what that's what we're working with here, but yeah, just to paint a picture, the teddy bear that Uncle Jeff sent, it came in a package. For those of you watching on YouTube, it came in a package about this big, maybe like <laughs> maybe like a foot and a half by a foot and a half, and it's <laughs> but it's vacuum sealed. So I open up this bag, and I I made a video of this Jeff, but I don't know if you could tell from the video. I open up the bag. And this thing expands into like a four foot tall fucking gigantic teddy bear that's at least double to three times the size of my daughter. And she's <laughs> hugging this thing and like dragging it around. Luckily, she knows how to use her underhooks already. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. And then, uh, and then we we took the kiddo to uh, to Disney World with her grandparents for her birthday. We had a good time. We went to Magic Kingdom. Um, I had to sneak a massive amount of alcohol into the Magic Kingdom, Jeff, because it's not available. Out of all the four Disney parks here at Disney World, um, it's the one place where you cannot purchase alcohol, um, which is detrimental to someone like myself. Uh, who who needs alcohol to be around, you know, big crowds mm. or small crowds or no crowds? I just need alcohol. <laughs> 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 oh, In any man. case, um, 
I I have mastered um, sneaking alcohol into Disney World, but Magic Kingdom is the one place you can't just go and buy a beer anywhere. Uh, they only sell beer and wine at um, like sit down restaurants where you need a a reservation like ten years in advance, I think. Um, but luckily, Kraken uh, Rum is, is the same color as Coke Zero, uh, which you know you are allowed to bring. Uh, sodas and waters and stuff into the park. So I had like six bottles full of crack and rum that were brought into magic kingdom. Um, Disney is probably listening to this right now and, and figuring out a way to change their policies. Uh, I hope not because somehow the wife talked me into getting an annual pass to Disney world since we live in Florida. In any case, Jeff, we've gotten so far off track. Let's talk about the co-main event here, which was a rematch between Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington. Um, didn't go much differently from the first fight. Uh, the first fight was a split decision in favor of Holly Holm. This was a unanimous decision in favor of Holly Holm. Um, you know, we saw, we, we saw some good tricks from Holly Holm here. Um, she controlled um, a vast majority of this fight kind of as expected. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot on this one, Jeff. Uh, so if you want to take the reins here or we can just move on. Uh, yeah, I mean, it looked like a lot of the same. I actually thought Raquel Pennington won the first fight. And this time around, it was definitely all Holly Holm. You know, she did such a good job controlling Pennington, pinning her up against the cage. Um, you know, I, I don't have much more to say from that to, uh, to that extent because, you know, Holly Holm went out there and did what she does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some uh, some good cage grappling from her. I mean, nothing that really stands out, but it, it's it's a it's a check mark in the win column for Holly Holm here, which she kind of desperately needs because I think she lost five of her last seven, something like that. And uh, I think I think eight of those last seven were title shots. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, she's a monster, man. <laughs> you know. Um, speaking of monsters, Alexei Olenek and his relentless grappling uh, prevailed over Maurice Green. Uh, credit to Maurice Green for hanging in there as long as he did. But Olenek just clung to him and was just like like a fungus or something that would ref that refused to be cured. You know, he just latched onto Maurice Green. Whatever he could grab a hold of, he was trying to strangle or remove from his body and um, finally wound up locking up an arm bar close to the end of round two. And Maurice Green did a good job defending it. You know, he had his knee blocking the extension of the arm, um, but Olenek cleared that knee and, uh, you know, was able to extend that arm. But, yeah. Uh, you know, in the meantime, Maurice Green got out of some nasty chokes. Uh, you know, a lot of positions that that probably Olenek finishes nine out of ten heavyweights if he gets them in those positions. Uh, here's a guy who's a very unorthodox grappler, very experienced mixed martial artist. You know, he calls himself a wrestler. This guy's got like seventy MMA fights. Um, I, I thought it was a spectacular finish. Uh, in this fight and, and probably one that's not going to get talked about enough in the coming weeks, you know, because of all the, the Conor McGregor hoopla. Uh, but give me your thoughts on this heavyweight bout, Jeff. Yeah, this fight was awesome, dude. It was so fast paced for a heavyweight fight. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, Maurice Green landed some really hard shots in the opening of the first round. And then it was all Alexi Olenek from there, man. Uh, you know, using his grappling really well. And like you said, credit to Maurice Green getting out of some really bad spots, man. Uh, there was uh, this one choke in there that I thought for sure Maurice Green was going out. It looked like an anaconda choke. I, you know, I thought I thought Green was going to tap. And, you know, it looked like he was very close to getting out of the armbar. But Alexi Olenek, you know, just so much experience you know, knew what he had to do. And as soon as he felt Maurice Green try to pull his arm out, that's when Oladick cranked that arm bar super tight. Um, you know, Green had very little choice but to tap. 
Um, but great job from him holding off Alexi Olnick. That is a tough task. Maurice Green is a super tough dude here. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, and a great finish for finish for uh, Olenek and really showing some diversity because a lot of his finishes in the UFC have, have been chokes and, um, you know, pulling off the arm bar here against Maurice Green. <laughs> Jeff. Jeff's just making me laugh because he, he mutes his microphone to yawn. But I'm just thinking about how those of you watching on YouTube can see both of us at all times now. It doesn't switch back and forth anymore. Yeah, but I don't want them to hear my yawns when they go to download our podcast as they normally do. I know. I know. A majority of the audience um, is audio. I'd say a good 98% of the audience is audio. But for those two percenters <laughs> that are here on YouTube, you can see what I'm seeing right now. It's Jeff's big black bear yawns. <laughs> hey, listen, bowling took a lot out of me, man. Yeah. It's been a long day. Well, you're out of podcasting shape, Jeff. You haven't done it in a decade. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out of practice, man. Um, so uh, Brian Kelleher and Ode Osborne were on the main card for some reason that I can't figure out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that too. I mean, oh, I guess it makes sense because like maybe you want to use Roxanne Modafferi and Macy Barber to <clears throat> kind of highlight the prelims to get people to order the pay-per-view. Um, but I think that fight should have been on the main card. Definitely deserving of it. But um, Brian Kelleher... A uh, guillotine victory over Ode Osborne, who's coming off Dana White's contender series and, and looked good on there, but I, I don't know why he would go from that to uh, fighting on the main card of you know the kickoff pay per view of 2020. Just doesn't make sense to me. But uh, you know, credit to Brian Kelleher, he he looked good in this fight and he, he got a, a guillotine finish. He's got a good guillotine. Uh, any thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, man, I thought Brian Kelleher looked great in there. Um, you know, just using a very aggressive wrestling style. He was in Osborne's face. He was, uh, you know, his pace was relentless. You know, Ode Osborne, he didn't know what to do, man. He he looked like a dolphin being attacked by three great white sharks. You know, he, he was lost in there. Um, and, and Brian Kelleher just smothered him, man. And he was not nice about that guillotine. You know, he had him sitting and and <clears throat> had his arm uh, cinched in as well. So, you know, Osborne was forced to tap with his feet because of how, you know, how that guillotine was locked up. It was an arm in guillotine. Uh, the other arm was trapped somewhere in there as well. I, I guess he was trying to give some more space for his neck. But yeah. Brian Kelleher had just such a tight squeeze, man. I felt bad for Osborne in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I forgot about that, actually. Thanks for reminding me that uh, his other arm was trapped as well. He had a tap of his foot. Not something you see very often. Um, so, you know, credit to Brian Keller. You know, real tight. Yeah. He looked good in there. Um, Diego Ferreira. Um, so last week in the episode I mentioned earlier that has not been seen by anyone and may never be be seen by anyone i said that this was a dangerous fight for anthony pettis because ferreira is a relatively unknown fighter yeah. um for for people who are you know just tuning in to watch conor mcgregor um or just tuning in to watch cowboy Cerrone or or holly home and they know they recognize a couple of names on here they probably know anthony pettis you know he was on the wheaties box five, six years ago, whatever it was, uh, you know, he's got that high highlight reel, uh, showtime kick that, that we see every time he fights and people probably know Anthony Pettis, um, probably 95% of the people who know who Anthony Pettis is, don't know who Diego Fadea is. And he's a fucking monster. Not only is he a fucking monster, but he, probably had his most impressive performance uh, of his career against Anthony Pettis and getting the, they're calling it a rear naked choke. It was more, and, and Joe Rogan was calling it a neck crank. 
Um, but there was not really a crank of the neck because uh, Pettis's head wasn't turning. It was more of a neck crush. Uh, so it wasn't a choke. It wasn't a crank. He was kind of off to the side of Pettis a little bit and just crushing his neck. Uh, not on the carotid arteries where it would, you know, cut off the blood flow to the brain, uh, but just a pain pressure on the neck that forced Anthony Pettis to tap. And we know how tough Anthony Pettis is. Um, very impressed by Diego Ferreira last night. Uh, he was using a Muay Thai technique that's actually very common where he was kind of lifting his lead leg and, and throwing like a fake teep. And using that to slide in and close the distance. Uh, and he had said at the end of the fight that it wasn't something he was practicing, but you know, he took some hard leg kicks from Pettis and, and he didn't want to take those anymore. But um, that is actually a very common Muay Thai tactic where, where you kind of faint the teep, lift that lead leg and use that to slide in hmm. and close that distance. And, and I was really impressed by the way he used that uh, to kind of stifle Anthony Pettis because Pettis is a guy, if you give him an inch, he takes a mile. Uh, you have to, you have to make him claustrophobic to be successful against him. And that's exactly what Fidea did and, and coming away with a very unorthodox uh, submission victory. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, man, the submission was super interesting. Uh, it looked like a neck crank to me, um, but you know, that's just how I was processing it because I didn't think it, it didn't look like a choke. So you know, to me, that's what I was calling it, a neck crank. But a neck crush, I guess, makes more sense. Um, but anyway, uh, kind of an unorthodox submission. Looked interesting. And, Bill, I was impressed with Ferreira here because Pettis looked so good in the first round. You know, he was picking his shots, uh, beating up that lead leg of Ferreira. Um you know, when Ferreira went for the takedown, Pettis either stuffed it or he popped right back up. And, you know, it, it was looking good after that first round. And Ferreira in the second round just drove in for the takedown. Uh, the the single leg wasn't really working, so he ran the pipe instead, which I loved. I love seeing that takedown. I feel like not enough people use that takedown effectively. Um and then he just went to work on the ground, and it looked like Pettis was okay. I was actually a little surprised when I saw him tap, but, you know, I was not in the submission, so I can't tell you what he was feeling. You know, obviously, Pettis is a tough dude. He's tapped some tough dudes. So, you know, if he tapped, he had to be in a lot of discomfort here. Uh, <laughs> a great showing from Fedeta. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it was an even greater showing, Jeff. Give it to me, Bill. The fucking domination of Macy Barber by Roxanne, the happy warrior, Mata Ferry. Uh, this is by far the best Roxanne Mata Ferry we have seen in the UFC. Um, she was fighting like a woman possessed in there against, I think, an 1,100-point favorite in Macy Barber and you know, I wish I were a gambling man, Jeff, because I would have definitely put money on Roxanne in this fight um, just because of the experience factor and the fact that we haven't seen Macy Barber tested. Roxanne dominated, and I, I think Macy, like, you know, she kind of grabbed the microphone and, like, started subtly trying to make excuses. Yeah. At the yeah, end, where she was like, oh, you know, don't worry about my knee. It's like, you're on the fucking prelims. Like, sit down. You you just got dominated. Like, you, sh you should have lost two rounds, 10 to 8. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. only one, by the way, only one judge gave a 10-8 round for Roxanne in this fight, which is, is the only travesty uh, 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 that's a part of this fight. And I, I will admit, I, I'm biased here. Because Roxanne's best friend, training partner, roommate, Serena De Jesus, is a good friend of the show, the Southpaw Outlaw, Serena Southpaw on social media. If you want to go and follow her, um, but yeah, don't don't take the like. Who the fuck are you? Don't grab the microphone after losing the fight, and and say like, oh yeah, you know, I know my knee was injured, but um. The the real uh, <laughs> the real star of this fight though, Jeff, is the doctor who came in. 
Yeah. I think between the second and third rounds, he sits Macy Barber down against the fence. He like massages her knee for a second and he goes to the referee. She's got a partial ACL tear. She's going to be fine. And then he walks out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. I, I just, I saw him look up at the ref. I didn't hear what he said to him. Though. Yeah. He looked that at is him awesome. just like this. And he goes, she's got a partial ACL tear. She's going to be fine. <laughs> and then like snaps away. Does like a supermodel, like runway turnaround. <laughs> like, the Zoolander. First of all, do you have fucking x-ray vision? <laughs> like, even if you could tell like her ACL is torn, how do you know it's how do you know it's partial? And how do you know she's gonna be fine? Like she can barely stand on it. Like I'm not a I'm not a doctor, Jeff, but I can tell she was hurt pretty bad. <laughs> like, just like the confidence and the fucking like first of all you sitting her down against the cage and massaging her knee and looking at it, which is a clear sign to her opponent that's fucking 15 feet away <laughs> watching everything you're doing that she has an injured left knee. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what, I want to know, I want to have this doctor on the show and find <laughs> out what the fuck was he thinking? Does he have X-ray vision? And was he ever a runway model? <laughs> because <laughs> all of these are questions that I need answers to, Jeff. But in any case, <laughs> Macy Barber, you know, she showed her toughness. And Roxanne Modafferi showed um, a lot of courtesy by not attacking that injured leg. And she even made comments after the fight that she said she could have kicked it. and But she knew it was a – she knew that it was probably a ligament injury and she didn't want to injure it further and she knew she was winning the fight and she chose not to attack that injured leg um you know jeff 100 out of 100 other fighters would be trying to knee bar macy barber or leg kick her or or something um that that just makes me like roxanne even more than i already do um you know the fact that she was looking for a way to still win the fight without doing permanent damage to her opponent. I, I I can't say that I would even be so kind in there, Jeff. You know, if I saw that if I saw that X-ray vision runway model referee sitting my opponent down and massaging their knee, I'd be like, that's the knee I gotta go after right now. Um, but Roxanne didn't do that. She's not that person. And um, you know, still came out with a victory, a dominant victory over a, uh, a really hot prospect who was a really big favorite over her. Give me your thoughts on this fight, Jeff. Bill, absolutely amazed with Roxanne Modafferi's performance here. And like you said, Serena De Jesus, friend of the show. So I was a little biased too. I wanted a Roxanne Modafferi to do well. But Bill, I, I was concerned. You know, Macy Barber's a tough chick, undefeated. And Roxanne Modafferi went in there and kicked the shit out of her, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Um, I, I think rounds two and three easily could have been 10 eights. Easily, easily. Um, you know, and Monteferi just put it in work, man. Everything was with purpose. Uh, you know, the groundwork was superb. You know, she was, she had Macy Barber on her back, and, and while Barber was able to get a few sweeps in, you know, there was never a time where Modafferi was not in control here. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very impressed, uh, especially when you consider the age gap. You know, Roxanne Modafferi's 37, Macy Barber's like 22 or something. Um, so, you know, just huge, huge uh, feather in uh, Roxy's hat. Uh, yeah, a uh, huge feather in Roxy's cap here because, you know, Macy Barber, a, a big, big rising star here, um, <clears throat> definitely making a splash in the women's flyweight division. But also, Roxy was just so composed, man. You know, she never lost her, her cool in there. There was never a time where she wasn't picking her shots. Even when she had Barber on the ropes, Mm -hmm. In the third round, you know, she was methodical. She was diligent, just chipping away at her. Um, I want to see more of that from her. Uh, just a phenomenal fight. Yeah, man. She's a, she's a grinder. 
you know, oh, yeah. it showed. And, you know, that strength and conditioning program she's been going through over there at Syndicate uh, ha- has really paid dividends. And uh, she cut up that forehead, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, there was a lot of blood spurting out. You know, a, a doctor could have stopped that just based on the blood loss. They could have stopped it based on the x-ray vision ACL tear. Um, credit to Macy Barber for hanging in there. But, um, yeah, that forehead got busted up, man. That big old forehead of hers. You could project a drive-in movie on that. <laughs> Dude, if you hung her off a crane, you could tear down a building, man. That wrecking <laughs> ball head that she's got. I I think in like um when they show the tail of the tape, like the top of her hair bun is actually a quarter of a mile from her chin. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of forehead in between there. In any case, um w- one of the best fights of the night, in my opinion, Sadiq Youssef, uh unanimous decision victory over Andre Feely, but these guys were fucking going after it, Jeff. It was so back and forth. The the grappling exchanges. I was surprised to see Sadiq Yusef um, showing off some grappling here because we know he's a really good, uh, you know, really uh, rigid and really precise striker, uh, and he showed off a lot of that as well. But in the grappling exchanges, he was doing well against a seasoned MMA fighter like uh, Andre Feely. Um, really impressed with Sadiq Yusef. This was a very close fight. Um, you know, they both had their moments in here, but uh, Yusuf coming away with the unanimous decision. Uh, thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I'm with you 100%. For me, this was the fight of the night. I knew it was going to be a good night of fights seeing this fight. And after the first round, part of me wanted to finish, but the rest of me was like, I hope they go all three rounds at this pace. And they did, man. Neither one disappointed. I think it could have gone either way. Uh, you know, personally, I think Yusuf won for me, but I could have seen it going for Andre Feely, and I would not have been upset. Um, so back and forth, you know, heading into the third round, they were a round apiece. I, I couldn't tell you who won this fight. I, I was thinking Yusuf, but I didn't know if they would give it to Feely. Everything about this fight was great. The stand-up, the the grappling, and Yusuf. Whoa, excuse me. Yusuf hung in tough, man. Andre Feely was throwing up submissions from the bottom, and you know had a very very active guard, which you know it, it's scary to to be able to 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 fight someone and they're uh, able to just attack you while they're on their back you know um it, it's tough for for somebody to deal with especially if your whole game is is top game um it, you know it, andre feely such a well-rounded grappler mm-hmm. and yusuf went toe to toe with him um if you didn't watch this fight definitely go back and watch it and even if you did watch it go back and watch it again uh this was a real gem I think this was the, for me, this was fight of the night here for sure. I didn't check the bonuses, uh, to see. I imagine Connor got one. Um, yeah. All Nick got one. Uh, I got the Wikipedia page open. Brian Kelleher, uh, Diego Ferreira, and Drew Dober. So there's oh. no fight of the night awarded. Yeah. So Drew Dober definitely deserves it with the, uh, <clears throat> the, the quick first round knockout of Nasarat Hackprost. So let's just, uh, Switch. Let's just uh, skip over to that one real quick. So Nasrat Hakparas, who is the uh, Kelvin Gastelum doppelganger, was mm. a huge favorite in this fight and uh, tried to make Drew Dober brawl a little bit, and Drew Dober wasn't having it. Uh, he stayed composed in those wild exchanges and wound up landing a straight left about a minute into the first round that just dropped Hakparas, and uh, the referee Mark Smith had to step in there calling into it uh, very wisely because Hawk Ross was, was taking some serious brain damage there. Drew Dober looked phenomenal, uh, definitely deserving of a performance of the night bonus. And then um, Askarar Askarov, Askar Askarov killed Tim Elliott in the first round. Tim Elliott was fighting as a zombie for the second and third rounds and still managed to have some moments in this fight. Um, didn't come close to winning it, got his fucking ass beat, uh, kept walking into big punches from Askarov and, and asking for more, and Askarov gave him more, and and Elliot thought that just walking forward and asking for more punishment uh, would, would do enough to win him the fight, but 
you know, he wasn't returning any of these strikes. I can't really understand the, the strategy from Tim Elliott here. Maybe it was like a Homer Simpson approach, like trying to tire him out by taking all of his punches. Um, <clears throat> in any case, it, it was a fun fight to watch. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on, on either of those, Jeff? Um, I'm actually watching the Drew Dober versus uh, Nasrat Hakparas fight on my phone right now. But uh, Askar Askarov versus Tim Elliott, this was a really good fight too. This was actually the first fight that I caught um, on this card. And the whole undercard was great too. Uh, you know, top to bottom, this card was really good. But um, Bill, the, Askarov versus Tim Elliott, really enjoyable fight. Um, and I think that they both... At the end of this fight, looks like sloth from the Goonies. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. yeah, they both took some lumps, man. Um, so the only other thing I want to mention about this card, because we've been going for almost an hour here and we still have to preview the uh, fight night 166 next week. Um, there was a strawweight fight that was called off, and it was between Claudia Gedalia and Alexa Grasso because Alexa Grasso missed weight by five and a half pounds jeff that's a whole weight class dude fuck that so fuck that bitch rightfully so the athletic commission is like uh we can't allow this and credit to claudia gadalia she went and made weight anyway knowing that her opponent had missed and still wanted to fight she still wanted to fight alexa grasso she's like yeah let me in there with this tubby bitch <laughs> um Five and a half pounds, Jeff. I mean, you're allowed a one pound one pound allowance, and that's for like if your scale is off, right? So technically, six and a half pounds she missed by. Let's call it six and a half. And she weighed in without her clothes on. Like you know, you're you know you're like astronomically overweight. Like what? What the fuck? are you doing and why are we seeing this problem happen over and over and over again fight a weight class up move up and wait you know in the words of our dear friend serena de jesus i have no respect for these hoes amen to that brother um and, and for those of you who don't know what i'm talking about go to our youtube channel and and look at the highlights playlist um my probably my most shared clip in the history of MMA on the rocks is Serena de Jesus going on her epic rant about women missing weight and how they have no more excuses than, than men have. Um, and how herself and Roxanne Mataferi have made weight under, you know, under the stress of certain biological functions that women go through every month. Um, but yeah, really, really terrible for Claudia Gadalia. But, um, you know, made me a bigger fan of hers. The fact that she wanted to fight Alexa Grasso, even though she was five and a half pounds or six and a half pounds, as, as we just clarified, overweight. Um, in any case, <clears throat> we're moving along, Jeff, to North Carolina, UFC Fight Night 166. Uh, I took a look at this card just before uh, we went live here, and um, uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. You know, we're getting back to the grind here where we have fight cards, you know, every week now for a couple weeks. Main event, Curtis Blades and Junior Dos Santos. I think this is a really fun heavyweight matchup. Uh, probably has number one contender implications, I would think. Um, you know, depending on what happens with the uh, Jairzinho Rosenstrike and Francis Ngannou fight that's booked a couple weeks from now, but you know, the winner of this fight, if impressive in a main event, uh, could, could make a case, uh, for, for a title shot. Um, Raleigh, North Carolina, the heavyweights are coming. The co-main event, even more intriguing, in my opinion, Rafael Dos Anjos and Michael Chiesa. I think this is a really fun fight. You know, two guys who have made the journey, from lightweight to welterweight, um, you know, that long 15 pound journey. And they've both found a lot of success there. And, um, they, they've both hit some, some walls at 170 pounds as well. Um, so give me your thoughts, uh, on the main event and co-main event here, Jeff. 
I'm excited for both of these, man. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of Curtis Blades. I, I love his his wrestling and how he combines with his striking. Mm-hmm. Might have lost you, Jeff. All right, Jeff the Animal Wilson may have been cut out here. We're going to see if we can get him back. In the meantime, uh, let's take a look at the rest of this card. Jeff is just frozen on my screen here. I don't know if he can hear me or not, uh, but we can't hear you, Jeff. Uh, so uh, Jordan Espinosa and Alex Perez, uh, that, that'll be a fun fight. Angela Hill, another quick turnaround for her against Hannah Cyphers. And we completely lost Jeff. So I guess he lost his internet there. Uh, <clears throat> Jamahal Hill, the undefeated Jamahal Hill against Darso, Darko Stosic. Uh, that, that's actually a really fun fight. And then uh, Bevon Lewis, another Dana White Contender Series alumni, uh, against uh, Daquan Townsend. Nick Lentz stepping in on short notice against Arnold Allen. Uh, so that's always fun. Justine Kish and Lucy Pudilova. Um, <laughs> Jeff just texted me and said he lost his Wi-Fi. He's rebooting his laptop right now, folks. Uh, so maybe we'll get the animal back in time for him to say goodbye. Uh, Montel Jackson against uh, Philippe Diaz-Colades. Sarah McMahon and Lena Landsberg, very underrated fight on this card if you're into the women's MMA. Uh, Brett Johns, we haven't seen Brett Johns in a while against Tony Gravely. Uh, I'm going to look up real quick when the last time we saw Brett Johns was uh, because I feel like it was when he fought Aljamain Sterling, and that seems like it was a really long time ago. Okay, no. He fought Pedro Munoz in August 2018. And he fought Aljamain Sterling in April 2018. So Brett Johns, who came into the UFC on a real hot streak, uh, you know, th three wins in a row, uh, including, you know, that 30-second calf slicer against Joe Soto, which was, which was super impressive. Um, back at the, that was the ultimate fighter 26 finale, December, 2017. And then he had those two losses to Aljamain Sterling and Pedro Munoz, you know, nothing to hang your head at there. And they were both, uh, decision losses. Um, so he took a considerable time, a considerable amount of time off since those two losses. And, um, you know, the Pikey's coming back. I, I thought Brett Johns was a really exciting prospect a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, it's interesting that that he's taking so much time off, uh, which usually leads me to believe um, that he he's, he's working on things, you know. And then we got the UFC debut of Herbert Burns, the brother of Gilbert Burns, who I still believe is one of the most underrated combat sports athletes on the planet. Uh, Gilbert, that is. So Herbert uh, won Dana White's Contender Series in August uh, with an arm triangle in the first round. And he will be taking on Nate Landwer. And this is the opening fight of the, of the entire card. UFC Fight Night 166. From Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, my buddy, my buddy Mike lives up in Raleigh. Uh, wonder if he'll be attending this card in person. So, Mike, if you're listening, uh, text me and let me know if you're going to be attending this card. Probably not. Uh, Mike, Mike doesn't follow UFC very closely. In any case, we really covered a lot this episode, and um, I want to apologize for the inconsistency the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, we've had a lot of things come up between holidays and sickness and 
Jeff disappearing and and uh, me being too intoxicated to um, post episodes that I recorded. Um, so again, if you guys want to see episode 171, you're going to have to really break down my door and demand it. Uh, it. It's basically just me and my brother really drunk smoking cigars uh, and, and previewing UFC 246. So if you want to hear those drunken predictions, uh, you're, you're really going to have to, you're really going to have to de- demand those from me. Um, in any case, I guess I'll sign off for myself and the animal. Uh, if you want to reach <laughs> Jeff the Animal Wilson and uh, break his balls for missing the last couple of weeks and for losing internet, <laughs> Jeff, did you pay your internet bill this month? We're starting off 2020 uh, with, a, with a bad start here on Man on the Rocks, but you know I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, for the record, I've been drinking some Old Forester. Uh, the entire episode tonight and and probably five or six hours before the episode started. Um, Old Forester is my go-to right now. They they are not an official sponsor of the show, but Old Forester, if you're listening, uh, please sponsor my show because I drank your bourbon quite a bit. I'm drinking the 86 proof right now. I happen to be out of it, which is another good reason to end the show. And uh, anyway, if you want to get a hold of Jeff, it's at animal underscore Wilson, Twitter, and Instagram. You guys know how to get a hold of me. So do it. Reach out to me on social media at MMA on the Rocks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send me an email, MMA on the Rocks, gmail.com. Go to our website. Send us a message on the website that comes to my email. Um, we're very accessible, folks. I, I do always appreciate the feedback that comes from you. Um, I do appreciate when you guys get angry when we miss weeks <laughs> of doing episodes. Uh, I Like I say, I'm, I'm willing to give all of you a, a full refund. In fact, a double refund of, of the money that you pay to listen to this content. In any case, that's it. I've had it with you all. So until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>